Hey everyone, before we get into today's talk, we just wanted to take a moment and say thanks. Thanks for listening and thank you for all your support. And if this is the first time you're hearing this podcast, we just want to let you know that we are a church that meets in the Greenville area in South Carolina. We are really passionate about faith, creativity, culture, and building community. Our heart is that this podcast brings added value to your life, as well as it helps you in your own journey of faith and understanding the human experience. And with that, let's get right to it. All right, good afternoon. Well, there's rumors there's going to be a bunch of cornholes at the after church, after church uh, picnic, and there's a lot of trash talking happening of who's the best. So I think we should settle it potentially on July 3rd. So if you think you're something special in cornhole, come show yourself on July 3rd. Michael here just made some the first official studio branded labeled cornholes. And uh, they're pretty epic, so. How many cornhole people do we have in here? We have a few. How many think you're like really good? Yeah, yeah. My wife has her hand up, that's amazing. It's a lot of confidence over here. All right, yeah, for those of you that this is your first time, we're so glad you joined us today. I know many of you are visiting from the area and some of you drove in, you're traveling through the East Coast and summer that time where you're checking us out and we're glad you could come. We're just excited to be here in Greenville in South Carolina. And for those of you that don't know, Candace and I, we're actually coming up on our one year anniversary of moving to Greenville. It's like right around the corner. I don't know what we're gonna do, but we're gonna do something. something. We're gonna do something, June 22nd. It's actually 10 days from today. Today the 12th? Yeah, today the 12th. So we're kind of like, what are we gonna do? I don't know. We might go to the first restaurant that we ever went to when we came to Greenville. Some of you are wondering what it is. It's a secret. It's a secret. There's actually Rick Irwin's on Main Street. We went there. That was our first time. Let's just go there. That was our first one. Yeah, that was our first restaurant. So maybe we'll go there. We'll see. All right. Well, I'm going to have Chris read the passage of Scripture to start us off today. How many love Chris and Linda Mumford? These two are special, special. Chris, please read the passage. So, um, this is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 from the Passion Translation. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, not even our faith. For it was a gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one could ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. We have become his poetry, a created people that will fulfill the destiny he has given to each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God played, planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we would do to fulfill it. Thank you. You know, when it comes to our name studio, it's, it encompasses who we are. It's actually our main metaphor, apart from the cross, which is the most important metaphor of our faith. But when it comes to us as a church community, as a church family, 
or a group, however you feel comfortable calling this. The main metaphor actually is studio. It's, it's our working metaphor that we're working with. Candace and I, when we were in the process of moving in this direction and we knew that we wanted to build a church here or start a church here, we actually were on it. We were like three or four months of trying to figure out what to call this, this future idea. And our team, we started kicking around words with them and we had text going back and forth and notes and words and like we're becoming very good at looking at the thesaurus.com. Just trying to find that word that would grab us. And there were some words that grabbed me and didn't grab Candace and didn't grab the rest of the team. And then there were other words that really grabbed Candace and they definitely did not grab me. So it's an interesting process of being married and trying to come to a, a decision. And married couples know what I'm talking about. But it's beautiful too because it's, it's a process of getting to a spot. And we were walking through an airport in San Francisco actually on our way here on one of our scouting trips last summer. This was in May. And we're walking through the hallway between one of the two of the terminals and there's some art on the walls and one of them said Studio Glass. And I looked at it and I said, Candace, that's it. That's our name, Studio. And I looked at her and she said, yeah, I think that's it. I wish it like came from an angel in heaven. I wish it was like, you know, some amazing angelic moment, but it literally was on the wall of a poster in an airport in San Francisco. It makes sense because it was on our way to Greenville, so that helps a little bit with the connection. <laughs> but the studio, it actually, it's, it's, it's our metaphor. It, it will be our metaphor for the entire duration and existence of this community. It actually encompasses our ideals. It encompasses our theology of how we believe God actually works with humanity. It, it encompasses our ethos. It encompasses the culture that's being built each week and each time you and I interact with each other, whether it's in this space, in our homes, or on the streets, or in any type of space you guys are interacting with each other. Don't know if you know it, but every time we interact, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or it's a corporate gathering like this, the ethos is taking more shape. A culture is taking more shape. The word studio becoming more than just an idea of a future idea, it actually means something. And I realize some of you in this space, you're brand new, you've been here maybe for a week or two weeks and maybe a month and you're still trying to figure out which way is up and how do you do this and where's that and we are too. We don't know where everything is yet either. And that's really the, the idea of studio. It's, it's, a, it's a place, it's also a space, but it's also you. You know, light, light is an integral part of being a human being. It's an integral part, it's an important part of the human experience. In Maui, whenever the sun sets, the entire island stops and looks west to watch the sun set into the ocean. And if you're patient long enough, eventually all these little lights appear in the night sky. So light is an integral part of the human experience. It's something God created. It has a purpose, but it also has something very essence about it. It actually touches you and me. In fact, if you don't have light, then you actually can get depressed. You can actually get discouraged. And I have mad respect for people that live in certain parts of the world where it's dark for months. I've been to those places and I don't know how they do it. That's why they have what you call happy lights. 
It's a light you just stand in front of so your skin can absorb what it needs to actually be healthy and alive. Thunderstorms in the south. Man, they create this sense of wonder and excitement. And you recognize, wow, there's something a lot bigger than me. Being on a mountaintop in the middle of Montana, in the middle of winter, it's freezing, and you hear the wind blowing through the trees. It creates this sense of wonder. It's this mystique, this mysteriousness, this intrigue. So God's created creation in such a way that actually does something to you. He actually does, he created the different element and aspect of nature that actually impact us in a very deep, meaningful way. Why do we continue to flock to the beaches where the ocean comes up onto the sand year after year? And whenever we leave those spaces, we're already planning on when to go back. What is it about that space where the water meets the land and we just want to walk that line for miles and miles? And then we want to just sit there and just let the sand get in between our toes. There's something about that entire experience that touches us deeply. What's beautiful about all that God actually created this space, this, this creation, this earth, for us to experience who he is. It's, it's, it's a mind-blowing thing in sound. Sound is powerful. When you can hear sound and vibrations in perfect accordance, it moves us to tears. It moves us to action. It moves us to change. Color touches the human soul deeply. There's a lot of videos going around on YouTube right now where they've now developed glasses for people that are purely colorblind. They've never seen color in their life. And they put on these glasses and they see color for the first time. And most of those videos I've seen, they're weeping. That's what color does to the human soul. It touches you deeply. So in the same sense that God creates beauty and life to bring beauty and life to us, I believe God can use our life to use the material of you to bring life to humanity, to bring beauty to humanity. We've been talking about for a number of weeks now around this idea that the Spirit of God has been moved through all the dimensions of everything in existence to touch you. The moment you turn your heart to him and you say, God, you're my king. Forgive me. The moment you do that, the spirit of God moves through all the dimensions and touches you, fills you, takes up space in your life. We've been talking about that, but we've also been talking about what does the spirit actually bring? We talked about that two weeks ago. The spirit actually has something to give you, multiple things to give you. And we're going to continue this thread of thought around what happens when the Spirit takes up space in your life. What should we expect? And Chris read a beautiful passage. One of my favorite passages, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, is, is one of those 10 verses that I just, I read often. But the passage he read talked about how we are God's masterpiece. In different translations, it says we are his masterpiece. We are his song. We are his poetry. The fascinating thing about masterpiece is our earthly mind can only understand masterpiece to a degree, to an extent. Now, I, let's just be honest, not all artists can create masterpieces. 
I applaud any artist that create. I, I'm a huge fan of just creating, whatever that may be. I'm a huge fan of men and women that have a business idea and they create it. I'm a fan of, of people that I want to build a beautiful family and they build a beautiful family. Whatever it is that is coming out of who you are, I love that. But let's just be honest, not everything we create is a masterpiece. As much as we would want it to be. And what makes it even more challenging, let's say you have the privilege of actually creating a masterpiece. The challenge is now that's your standard. Everything you do after that, people expect you to even up that. And a lot of people that create masterpieces, they actually end up in depression and discouragement and hopelessness because of the unreal standard that they're trying to keep that's unrealistic. So even our understanding of masterpieces is limited by our own human experience, maybe ours or someone else's. But we're not talking about humans creating masterpieces. We're talking about the only one that everything he creates is a masterpiece. The only one in all of existence that can create a masterpiece every time he speaks, every time he moves, every time he touches, masterpieces take place. It's God himself. So the idea that God is interacting with you, he's creating you into a masterpiece. He's writing the perfect song with your name on it. Your DNA had everything necessary to become something that's so unique that it will never be done again in the history of humanity. That's what that verse is talking about. God is creating masterpieces with every word, every brush stroke, every thought, every interaction. He's building creativity, song, poetry with your life. So let's ask the question, how does that happen? Does he just come and touch you and all of a sudden you're a masterpiece? I wish. Some of you might even said yes to God thinking, man, just one yes fixes everything in my life. And you're five years in going, huh. I got a blank canvas with a lot of ugly colors on it. And I don't understand this. So sometimes even our idea of salvation is convoluted with this idea of like God's just going to one stroke and everything's golden. Man, that would be awesome. I think that would be beautiful. But I don't know if it'd be worth it. I don't know if it'd be worth it. Sometimes we go to God saying, God, or other people, can you just pray that this thing happens? And God's like, I'd rather take 20 years to build it. So this whole idea of masterpiece, we have to understand that when God is interacting with you, he's actually creating a masterpiece. One of the most favorite cities in the world for my wife and I is Barcelona. And I'm actually trying to plan a trip. I'm, I, I know my wife is too. Like, we want to go back badly. We were actually in two different countries. She was doing a conference in Guatemala. I was doing a conference in South Africa. And I said, why don't we meet in Barcelona? It just made sense. So I just meet in Barcelona because we had an, I had another, we both had a, a speaking engagement in Spain. So we just met over there, it was perfect, and we went. And it was one of the most funnest three days we've had as far as traveling goes. And we've been all over the world since we've met, known each other. And Barcelona is one of the most stunning cities. And, there's a place called the Basilica Sagrada Familia. It's called the Basilica of the Holy Family. It was designed by an architect named Gaudi. Now, 
Because of my fascination with art and architecture and design, I was well aware of this basilica. If you're wondering what a basilica is, it's actually a higher-ranking cathedral. There's cathedrals and then there's basilicas. You can look it up if you'd like. It's one of the most interesting pieces of architecture I have ever seen. To be honest with you, I didn't like it in the pictures. I thought it was ugly. I thought it was, I didn't like the style. I didn't, I, it didn't resonate with me. And, but we wanted to go see it because it's been in construction since 1826. 1886, I'm sorry, 1886. And the guy who designed it, Gaudi, only saw 25% completion by the time he passed away. So they've been building it ever since, trying to capture it because there was, because of the Spanish War, some of his designs were burned and ruined and sort of piecing together what he wanted to build. So they've been building it. They're proposedly supposed to be done in 2026, but because of COVID, it's delayed even more. But it's the most visited piece of architecture in the world from what I can gather. So we went and we spent, we got the tickets and we show up and it is tourist Mecca. You can, everything you can buy that resembles this basilica is available right there. I mean, it's, it's, a little, it's a little nuts. And I remember walking around this building with Candace and I'm thinking, yeah, I don't like this. It, it was the Gothic, Neo, New Nouveau style and it's, it's very weird. It's just, that's just how I can describe it in my very limited thinking. And reading about it, we're looking at it and it's just, each side of it is different. Like, it, there's no continuity in the style. But something changed when we went inside. When we went inside this massive architecture, we went in in the afternoon and the way the sun was coming through the windows, the stained glass windows, and the, it just was radiant. It was illuminating red and green and yellow. It was magical in there. And the ceilings are the tallest basilica in the world. It's just massive. And as the light is shining through, it's hitting these columns that were designed to be like trees. These stone columns made out of different types of stone to represent different types of trees. And they go up into the sky and then there's stone branches to hold the entire structure. And then there's this sound. And I begin to realize, I didn't understand the outside, but until I saw the inside, the interior, it made sense of what the exterior was trying to do. I believe in the same way when the Spirit gets inside of us, the essence of who God is begins to take place, begins to happen in our life. So this idea of just getting saved and going to heaven is a beautiful thing especially when the other option is going to hell. So I'm grateful for that. I don't ever want to diminish that, but let's not only limit it to that. Let's recognize God is creating a masterpiece with you right now. He's trying to paint this stunning piece of art in your life, but you're saying no. He's trying to sculpture something that the world will see and they will know who the artist is. But we're rejecting it. We say, not now, not today, I don't have time. Or this is uncomfortable. This is why the, the imagery of the potter and the clay is powerful in Scripture. Because if you've ever watched a potter work with clay, it's not, it's not a gentle, tender action. 
It's actually quite violent. And the author of that passage said, this is what it's like to be in relationship with God. I'm a chunk of clay and he keeps throwing me under the wheel. And he keeps kneading me into the wheel and he starts to sculpt something and something happens, he has to start all over. It's one of the most powerful imageries when it comes to how God is working with us. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read a couple passages of Scripture. We're going to start in verse 13 of chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Say that with me. You were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Jump down to verse 22 of the same chapter. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now you might ask, are there more than that? As you study the breadth of Scripture, you'll notice there's a lot of virtues, a lot of fruits of the Spirit, so to speak. But this is the primary passage that is used when we use this phrase, fruits of the Spirit. Now, what's interesting about the fruits of the Spirit, if you don't have the environment or the context, you never know if you have it. Now, what's the fruit of the Spirit? The evidence of the Spirit working in your life, these things should be taking place. So the gift of the Spirit, what's fascinating about gifts of the Spirit versus fruits of the Spirit, gift of the Spirit has nothing to do with your choice or will. It had 100% everything to do with God saying, I'm going to give you this one or this one or this one. The fruits of the Spirit, it's not a multiple choice. It's not even an option which one you want or which one you don't want. The expectation, if I can say that, is when the Spirit of God is in your life, this should be the result of that. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control. But what's fascinating, if you don't have a context to find out if you have patience, you don't know if you have it. So it's really easy to talk about patience when there's no need for patience. Oh man, patience, yeah, we have Bible studies around it. We, we sit in our homes and we have these amazing conversations around patience and long-suffering and goodness and kindness and generosity. But until you step into a moment or an environment that requires it, you'll find out how deep it goes. If you want to see if you have kindness, don't hang around only nice people. If you want to see if you have self-control, find out how much control you have when the biggest temptation's in front of you all the time. If you want to have joy, make sure you're not in the comfort of your normal home and you're actually exposed to reality that disrupt joy to find out how deep does it actually go and here's the catcher you can't actually take joy into every environment unless the spirit helps you i think one of the most needed things right now is people to do good things to be kind. Always err on the side of kindness. 
of goodness, of self-control, of generosity. If you're wondering, what should I do in this situation? Err on this side. Just err on this side. Because that is where we fall because the Spirit of God is in our life. And this is the result of the activity of God making us into a masterpiece. We should always err on the side of kindness and goodness and joy. Always. One of the most powerful moments of my life, I went to Ukraine in 1991. And this was 1991, put that in the context of history of what was happening with communism and what was happening in that part of the world in particular. And that's how we got to go because the ports were open. And so we go, and we had a team of about 100 or so from different places in, in America. We flew over there. We were going to do the missions trip. And we went into Kiev, Ukraine. And you could tell the result of the former government and former political system, the effect that it had had, not just on the people, but just how the city was built and, and the, the value of life. You could tell the results of that. So you have a generation that lived in communism, and now they're no longer under communism. So you can imagine just the paradigms and mindsets. And I, I, can't even, I can't even wrap my head around it, especially at that age of 15 years old. And even at 45, and we went to Siberia, and, we're, and we started to get a little bit more exposure to what it's like for people that have lived in two different eras. But what took place in Ukraine wrecked me. The church there, they took... Everyone in the church took the last three to six months of their salaries, whatever that was, and bought enough meat and potatoes and orange soda for our team for three weeks. The context of this level of generosity showed this goes deep. This goes beyond normal. This goes to depths that's embarrassing. Try drinking orange soda for three weeks with no water. None of us complained. You know why? Because we knew how much it cost them. And every night we're having meat and potatoes for dinner because a church decided to feed a bunch of Westerners three to six months of their salary. When you talk about doing good, and erring on the side of kindness and generosity, that was it right there. And I want to challenge us as we talk about the Spirit of God living in us, making us into a masterpiece. What is coming out of us? We can look at Mona Lisa and go, we know who the artist is. We can look at Sagrada Familia and go, we know who the artist is. We can look at the statue of David and say, we know who the artist is. The question is, when someone looks at your life, will they be able to tell who the artist is? Will they be able to say, I know who your daddy is? And that's my challenge to you, church. My challenge to you. In Acts 10, 38, it said, Jesus went about healing the sick and doing good. You know what that means? It's actually where we get our word philanthropy from. So Jesus was walking in power, and he was walking in the fruits of what it means to be in perfect unity with the Father. Kindness, goodness. 
And we're stepping into even a more volatile season as a nation in the next few years. So if we want to find out how patient we are, if we want to find out how kind we are, if we want to find out how generous we are, we got a lot of opportunities coming up. In fact, we have them right now. And I want to tell you, as we enter into some very complex moments in America, moment right now with elections and all the stuff going around that, let's err on the side of kindness. Let's err on the side of goodness. Let's err on the side of generosity. It doesn't mean we disregard things that are important to us, but let's make sure these things are taking place in our life and how we treat each other. And if you're a Republican, this is a great opportunity to treat a Democrat this way. And if you're a Democrat, you have an amazing opportunity to treat a Republican this way. If you're conservative, you have a great opportunity to look at liberals this way. If you're a liberal, you have a great opportunity to do the same thing to conservatives. We cannot be defined by the camp that we have chosen to live within. That is not the premier expression of what comes out of us. The premier expression that comes out of us is kindness, is goodness, is generosity, is self-control. But we've chosen to make it last down the list because we're scared. We're protecting something. I love how quiet it got. If you want to find out kindness, goodness, faithfulness, long-suffering, It's amazing, we wish patience was an impartation. You cannot impart patience without an experience. It's impossible. I've had people come up to me and say, man, I want the revelation of God. I said, what you really want is patience. You want that, but that has nothing to do with it. If you get patient, you'll see that. We just want instant, we want it now, and the faster our society goes, this is when we find out if we're really patient and how deep that one goes. So let's be a people that err on the side of kindness, faithfulness, self-control, the ability to suffer long. Why don't we stand? I'm gonna close. Thanks for listening to today's talk. For more information, you can always go to our website, which is studiogreenville.com, or check out our Instagram, which is studio.greenville, and you can follow along for all the latest happenings and updates. Other than that, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.